0: The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision.
1: Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking money, investing and more. Thanks for listening to the show. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. One thing I don't do is I don't talk a lot about the economy. I like to have strategy days and uh, I think those help probably a little bit more than anything else as far as getting people thinking the right way about how they should be handling money or thinking about money. There's something out there that I call the home ownership gap that it's almost tragic to me. The home ownership gap is a goal shared amongst home ownership is a goal shared by I think everyone kind of, you know, regardless of your race, your Race, your ethnicity, you know, one of the main drivers of wealth creation for a majority of people in the United States, it's vital to understand that, you know, the underlying characteristics that influence the probability of home ownership, uh, marital status and family formation plays a heavy, heavy issue with home ownership. The ethnicity impacts the probability of home ownership. Ethnicity and home ownership rates is a frequent topic of research. So a lot of research reports that come across my desk, um, <clears throat> you know, I saw one recently called the state of home ownership, home ownership, economic mobility, and the challenges faces the nation's Latino and African-American communities. And I do feel like we kind of have a have and have not. And I think there's some correlation and some causation. Home ownership is one of the key components of achieving the American dream for a lot of people. I've recently been talking with Tony Mendez from Bay Area com about, it's funny. Um, it's almost like the bigger risk you take in home ownership, the bigger upside you have. Um, a 5% move in a million-dollar home is worth a lot more than a 5% move in a $160,000 home. And yet, they both kind of move 5%. Yeah.
2: Um, and you keep seeing it. And every year, well, not every year, but we've been seeing it every year since the, the recovery uh, even the latest report came out. I think we had about 9.1% year-over-year returns in March, March over March. And a lot of people are looking at that. That's crazy uh, that we're still getting almost double-digit returns. Well, Alameda County got 13.7% year-over-year increases. Try not, um,
1: try not to date the show. So I know you like doing that.
2: We're still seeing these types of, of returns, and they're on big numbers. The median home price in the Bay Area is well over the peak that we saw back in 2007, 2008. Yeah. I'm going to stop saying 2008. It was the real, the real peak was July of 2007. It's interesting
1: because earning a bachelor's degree significantly improves one's ability to become a homeowner and a census back in 2015 showed that seven fifteen 15% of Hispanics had a bachelor's degree compared to 22% of African Americans. And that's a big difference of about seven percentage points. And that education gap between whites and African Americans remains pretty stable. Um, that's about eleven fourteen percent different, since greater education attainment typically leads to greater income. Some of these ethnic differences in educational attainment levels also influence income disparities. And we have a home ownership issue in the United States. We
2: do, and it's, it's spreading out. A lot of people, of course, are saying that the millennials are the next big buying um, um, wave, uh, whatever you want to call it. And they're carrying a lot of student debt. Um, it's very interesting to see that even in the, the young 30s, they're still below 40% ownership rate for uh, millennials. Um, and if you don't go to college and you don't carry any student debt, uh, I mean, the chances are even lower. You're actually below 30%. So going to college still pays off even if you carry the debt, but the ownership rate is still dropping because of that debt. There's a big shift in debt that we've been seeing from the last peak that we've seen a lot a lot less mortgage debt a lot more student debt student debt has doubled credit card debt has actually dropped and auto loans have gone up so it's a big shift in where people are concentrating their money and but with lower mortgage debt we can kind of correlate that with the low homeownership rate which we're seeing
1: right around 1994 levels it's interesting because at my income levels my property in raleigh i don't care about it goes up 5%, what's that, $2,500? Yeah, so yeah. for me to, like, at some point in time pay it off and just live, not live off the income, but add that income to my income is, is the only concept I see there. And yet the, the Bay Area real estate, I'm like, ooh, that could still significantly change my life. But less so after it's had a big move. Um, and the Portland office space, um, that's nice. But my income levels now, it's almost like I have to go out and take more risk with real estate if I'm going to get that quote unquote leverage or better thing for me to do is just suck that money away in an investment account and not have the illiquidity of real estate. People are, there are a lot of
2: people who want to be in real estate are torn between those three options, really struggling to find the means to buy in the Bay Area, to buy elsewhere, me like a rental property in Raleigh like yours, and then eventually have somebody else pay that off, but and have a smaller investment into that, right. where you know if a twenty-five percent down payment there is less than five percent here, um, or move and buy a place. And so a lot of people, or put it in the stock market. So there's a lot of options that people who are trying to get into real estate are thinking and thinking about this as their their ultimate goal. Uh, and they're finding the barrier is pretty tough. Um, but I think people should start exploring these options. We're seeing companies right now following migrants. Uh, out of california california is losing about a hundred thousand people a year right now and co- uh, large companies are following these migrants to places like nevada now, a migrant isn't a field worker N- no we're talking about out what they call out migrant right so people like me and you saying you know what we, we're done with california, we're done with we're california. Out. california yeah. we want sacramento is actually growing uh, sure. so people are, are are going into the Valley and saying this is a little bit cheaper here. And, and because of homes, a lot more people are able to stay in that want to stay in California, be able to work from home are moving farther and farther out or further out. Um, and, um, and or moving to places like Portland, Seattle, Denver, uh, even Utah uh, and companies are following. And I think uh, California as a whole is going to start figuring this out that we're losing billions of dollars in salaries and taxes as these migrants are, are moving out and, and, Um, taxes keep going up and we're going to start seeing more furloughs, I bet. Uh, Parks are going to close. Um, There's going to be a trickle-down effect if we don't figure
1: out some way to keep people in California. And it's interesting, one of the things you bring up there is that some of the people who are staying in California have stayed there their whole lives. And they are people who own real estate at low-cost bases and low property taxes. So California is losing the people who... You know, pay thirteen, fourteen thousand dollars a year in property tax to the people who stay here, paying six hundred, seven hundred. Um, and there is still population that comes into California, um, <clears throat> but when you see all those people leave, a lot of those are taxpayers, so it will create a problem for, like you said, parks and some of the things that we find lovely. On the positive side,
2: the Bay Area still is the leading city in the nation, or metro uh, msa metropolitan statistical area that grows the highest paying jobs on a yearly basis okay so the bay area is uh you know even though we're looking at some recent news that a hundred and five thousand dollars salary is considered low income in san mateo county san francisco and marin county um which is crazy to hear you live in richmond virginia or raleigh or san antonio you hear that you're like what yeah that's low income um Alameda County's $80,000 household salary uh, is considered low income but we're still drawing the high salaries here Rob and maybe there's just a you know one class of, of employment is replacing the other and that's reflecting in housing
1: Eight hundred five one six twelve twenty. each calls on the air
2: Catch Rob Black and Rob Black and Your Money live on the Bay
1: Area Airwaves weekday mornings from 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW and streaming live on the KDOW radio app or KDOW.biz. And don't forget the weeknight replay at 7. I'm Rob Black talking money invested in more. We saw that a house in San Francisco just sold for $800,000. Why am I bringing that up? That sounds cheap for a house in San Francisco. Because the house is a one bedroom, one bath, and it was completely gutted in a fire, and it'll need to be demolished. So essentially it was just bought for the land, which isn't much, and uh, the the construction cost that people are going to eat. And I would have assumed that they're also going to pay for getting it demolished and taking it out. That's pretty crazy. I heard a man yesterday at the gym talk about his real estate and how proud he was of it, and uh, he talked darling of how he bought you know 40 years ago and how he's benefited from Prop 13. And someone said, "So would you buy again today?" He goes, "Oh no, oh no. Prop 13 is uh, the only reason I could afford to stay in California." And uh, one woman said, "I'm just lucky to have a roof over my head." In the conversation. Let's bring in Tony Mendez, talk a little real estate, mortgages, money, uh, Bay Area, this is what Tony does well on his show, Thursdays from 6 to 7 p.m. on the Real Estate Report. Joining me now, Tony Mendez, com. So one of the things we've talked about today is that there's so many ways to look at money and finance, and whether it's having kids are expensive, whether it's paying for college is expensive, um, I can't imagine, you know, not grasping that. And I used to say things like, don't let your kids get a poetry major because all the jobs are in computer science. But, you know, it's going to be kind of interesting. You're going to want probably a poetry major down the road because um, how else are you going to stand out if in a world of robots and things along those lines? And I'm not telling people to get poetry majors. Maybe maybe a double minor kind of thing in, in English lit or something like that where you could have a little bit of color to your scientific world that we continue to live in. But one of the areas that we're also talking about is landlords and Last year, thirty-seven percent of homes sold were acquired by buyers who didn't live in them. Um, demographic shifts push home ownership rates to fifty-year lows at this point in time. You go back fifty years, you know, you're thinking late '60s, early '70s, and the American dream was to buy a home and live in a home, and we had just, you know, started that conquest, so to speak. And what did we get as high up to? Like sixty-eight percent? It was roughly sixty-eight
2: percent. Um, you know, the push as interest rates started dropping from the '80s. Um, not interest rates in the 80s, but in the 1980s uh, till today. Um, and, and it, you know, I actually back to 2008, really when we were hitting some uh, some highs back up in that 68% range, uh, and now we're down in the low 60s. Um, I wouldn't expect it to, to go that much further. It's actually slowed down quite a bit. But, um, you know, the, the pace of institutional uh, buyers, those large companies uh, out there buying mass amounts of properties, has dropped three percent last year. Uh, yet the number of landlords is increasing, so that means private investors are picking up. People like like here in the Bay Area are cashing in on their properties and buying in places like Boise and. Uh, Nevada and Salt Lake City and or Portland and Denver. I mean, all of these cities, you know, t- double digits uh, increases. Portland, ten uh, percent. Um, I'm sorry, eleven percent. Colorado, ten point six. Washington, which is Seattle, ten point two percent year over year price increases because of this. Um, w- w- even where Portland residents are putting up signs, please no Californians because it's raising their rents. Uh, they're buying houses, increasing prices, ra- raising rents, and uh, that's not good for you know to move that fast in places. That aren't used to it uh the bay area is a little bit different um there's a lot more money here do you remember in cartman Cartman,
1: i knew there's gonna be a south park uh, bought immigrants (laughs) we we could go (laughs) into the ghetto with Cartman if we had to but do you remember when he put um old people or no it was hippies he invited hippies to south park for like a uh a a musical festival or something yes and he was kidnapping them and putting them in his basement Mm -hmm. and he was using a cow prod uh, tasering them and stuff. <laughs> so that's what I think about. You
0: will respect my authority.
1: When I think about people from Portland, I think about Hartman <laughs> kidnapping them and put, tasering them and cow prodding them. But this is kind of interesting, and this is where I kind of wanted to stop you because you were getting on a, a diatribe monologue, which I hate monologues. I prefer conversations when I'm with another human being. You know my brother Pete? Pete? He, um, he insisted that if there's two people in the car that he'd always leave the radio off. Made us forced us to talk to each other. And I still hate him to this day, um, but that's neither here nor there. So the median price of a home in Dallas is 201000 and the shares of homes sold to people who didn't live in them doubled over the last 12 years. So it's the cheaper houses that are attracting people who want rental income. And I want to be a so I want to be a landlord in it's, Dallas. It's a gold maybe. rush for a lot of uh, people who are looking that
2: have that disposable uh, income. For example, you, you, you could be in any big metropolitan area. D.C. is hot right now. Boston, uh, you name them all. Chicago, San Francisco, L.A. But the
1: more expensive it, the it, house, less the less ec- likely you have the landlord.
2: Correct. So, Yet, yeah, yeah, a lot of people here in the Bay Area are keeping their houses. They have low tax basis. They they either have paid it off or they have a small mortgage and they're moving out and, and then doing the high rent. So, and that's their income
1: as part of retirement. But this gets me back into thinking of, would I rather own a home in the Bay Area and rent it out, or would I rather own three in Dallas and rent it out? It gets back to the, your conversation about your brother who owns three beach properties in Maryland right. Beach. I'd rather own one home and rent it out in the Bay Area than own three because it's three times as much work. And I see people going after the smaller priced homes, and a smaller priced home is going to get get what? It's going to get bad renters. I think what a lot of people are saying are, are seeing is
2: that they can't just agree with me i I want to no i am agreeing with you and there's a lot of equity here rob and that equity is being moved around the nation um especially people who let's say are renting here and they can't buy but they have a down payment it still doesn't
1: work here but they take it out out of state that's happening so this is the song the guy was standing up through can you believe this You can find me at roblackshow.com. You can find Tony at barrylonesource.com. I'm standing up right now. (laughs) I can't see my producer, which is kind of interesting, because if you stand in that window, I'd still be able to see the producer. But this one, no, I can't. One skinny one's heavy. He blocks out the sun. (laughs) I'm Rob Black, talking to all things financial. Want the podcast with music? Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and your money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. Dow hits up triple digits at the open today. Caterpillar 3M and others doing quite well. Leading Dow into record territory again. Whoa! Let's talk about it. Bring in Patrick O'Hare, briefing. dot com. How are you, Mister O'Hare?
3: Hey Rob, I'm doing okay. Thanks.
1: I saw recently that you won a big award. Can we talk about that? Uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> you won. Um, how did that, how, Tell me how this all came about.
3: Well, um, so the award you're referring to was the um, Market Watch's top economic forecaster of the month. Uh, And it was for the month of September. So uh, in addition to some of the other things I do at briefing.com, you know, like page one and the big picture, which oftentimes is more stock market centric, um, although the big picture obviously uh, dips into the realm of economics every now and then, um, I also provide the... uh, economic forecast for the briefing.com economic calendar so and it just turned out i guess that uh, the forecast that i provided for september were were better than a lot of forecasts that other people provided
1: <laughs> so it has to on. feel so pretty good it has to feel pretty good because at times a lot of people think that wall street feels like a game but there is a lot of math and a lot of science that goes into a calm understanding of what direction we're moving
3: Right. Well, I joked, uh, you know, I don't have a Ph.D., so I guess uh, I, I might have saved myself six years and a couple hundred thousand dollars in education <laughs> by by not doing that and still uh, still won that award for that particular month. But I guess it also would be remiss not to add that it's the first time I've won that award, which is to say that, uh, you know, um, I, I've learned, like many others, that economic forecasting is a very humbling endeavor.
1: <laughs> With that said, let's talk about... Um market forecasts and it feels like the market's ahead of itself. I'm going with it. Maybe we'll have a less of a good year next year and kind of balance things out. But are you feeling that there's too much momentum because turning on the television this morning on Bloomberg and seeing the Dow was going to open up triple digits, I was like, whoa, uh, didn't we just hit a big round number and now we're moving towards another big round number?
3: Uh, yes and yes. Uh, and it's driven though today, I mean, by the very factor that you'd want it to be driven by, which is really better than expected earnings news and and better than expected guidance. Um, You know, it's particularly encouraged by, you know, what Caterpillar and 3M both said, you know, two industrial companies, um, you know, uh, and both of them talked about increasing end demand across all product segments and across all geographic regions in which they operate. Uh, And that's encouraging commentary, and it, it fits very Neatly into the whole uh, reflation theme that we that has helped push up stock prices here in recent weeks, and which is starting to weigh more on treasury prices. So you you know you want to hear uh, companies talk about an improved earnings momentum, and that's necessary really to help validate this move that we've seen in the stock market. And granted, you know. Valuations look full, <clears throat> um, in, but you need to have that good earnings news uh, to support those full valuations. And, and currently, the market isn't finding any real incentive to, to abandon its bullish bias, because even though market rates have creeped up some of late, you know they remain relatively low, and you've got good earnings growth still shining through from some of your most important industrial companies, and, um, you know, and, of course, you still have the, this whole idea of tax reform hanging out there, and, and there appears to be, if nothing else, some momentum in the narrative that you could see something get done before the end of the year in that, on that front. And so what we talked about a few weeks ago, Rob, you know, when Warren Buffett said, look, I'm not selling because I think in a few months' time I could get the benefit of a lower tax rate and sell then. And I think that that continues to be a real important source of support here uh, for the market uh, as we move through the fourth quarter.
1: Interesting stuff. Now, let's talk about the fourth quarter. Let's talk about earnings season. Uh, We've seen some just across the board so far. Some banks come out better than expected, uh, but today it's Caterpillar and 3M, but it's also a lot of other companies that are coming out and showing just real strong results. Um, this is a busy week for earnings season. Uh, do you think that kind of earnings momentum can continue? Because I don't think we were looking for this solid of a number of growth of earnings. Or is it one of the ones that we were over-promised and they cut expectations and uh, it just feels like we're beating lowered expectations?
3: Yeah. Well, it's certainly going to be the latter case, uh, which is which is status quo, really. I mean, that's how Wall right. Street operates and how the market reacts. Uh, you have analysts that oftentimes will. Lower their numbers uh, just in front of the reporting period, and that has to do in large part with the fact that they have more complete source information that they that they use as inputs in their models, and uh, than they do at the start of a quarter. And so you oftentimes see those estimates come down, and then lo and behold, you see the companies come out um, and and surpass those lowered earnings expectations. Oftentimes helped, and uh, to a certain extent by share buyback activity that sometimes can be difficult to model for, um, and uh, and a lower or tax rate. So there's sometimes there are issues surrounding the quality of the earnings reports, but the fact of the matter is is that S and P 500 companies in aggregate almost always come out and uh, and report a final earnings growth rate that's roughly about two to three percentage points above the consensus growth rate going into the reporting period. Um, so what we've seen though lately is that you know the actual uh, blended growth rate for the third quarter, according to FactSet, is is 1.7 percent. So that's not, that's not, like, super strong by any means, uh, but you're seeing stronger revenue growth. And at the same time, you're also seeing analysts hold fast to double-digit growth expectations for the fourth quarter and the first quarter. And that's what's really, I think, keeping the market um, uh, supported as well. So you're not seeing a real strong reaction to the, to the earnings news overall in in a number of cases because a lot of stocks have run up ahead of those really strong reports. But at the same time, you're not seeing any real conviction on the selling side or the profit-taking side uh, because investors are cognizant, I think, that uh, you're going to see stronger earnings growth in the next few quarters. And again, like we talked about, uh, there's not an incentive right now for a lot of people to take profits because they want to see if you potentially see a lower tax rate in the coming months.
1: Kind of want to ask a specific question. I don't know if this is appropriate, but today I'm seeing McDonald's hit um, an all-time high, and I see that it's up roughly ninety percent in the last five years, and it's one of the big leaders this year. And yet, between you and me, we could candidly say we wouldn't let our children eat there. It's considered child abuse. It's the last kind of resort for food. Is it really food? Calling it a restaurant's kind of silly. Um, Does it make any sense that a company like a McDonald's can hit a 52-week high and maybe even extrapolate that into this is one of the reasons why individuals shouldn't use their personal biases picking stocks because I'm biased against McDonald's and yet it's one of the greatest stocks of all time.
3: Right. Well, I, you know, I have to, uh, full disclosure, here, I'm not biased against McDonald's, frankly. So I have contributed okay. to those strong same-store sales results, uh, Rob, to be honest with you. <laughs> um, but, it's you know, the look, stop. It, it, <laughs> the, the thing about McDonald's, though, is that, of course, it's, uh, it's quick and it's affordable, and uh, and while there are some obviously knocks against the nutritional aspects of what McDonald's can offer, uh, it, people are busy, right? Uh, Dual-income households uh, running around chasing kids, chasing jobs, not a lot of time, uh, and then frankly, not a lot of disposable you know income left over. Uh, and so, right. McDonald's has a value proposition there that uh, that checks off you know, some boxes for a lot of busy people. And I think it's, it's shown up in the results. Um, uh, They have made efforts to improve their, their nutritional offerings. And uh, at the same time, they are receiving the benefit now of a weaker dollar uh, and, uh, and that strong value proposition that they continue to offer.
1: Speaking of which, let's talk weaker dollar. That's one area that I don't play terribly smart with um i just don't get it it's tough for me to explain it on radio it's tough for me to feel how do i describe that to listeners so they don't get confused how much do you factor in weaker dollars when talking about record highs and uh, market outlooks and maybe even specific stock ideas
3: well i think you know over the long term it kind of balances itself off you know because um you know, you, it, it it becomes cyclical in some ways. You have periods where the dollar weaker, and periods when it's stronger. And, and over the long term, I think it it kind of evens itself out. So, uh, it's it's the short term swing factors that that come into play. So, and you're hearing that right now uh, from some of these multinational companies that they talk about, you know, the impact of foreign exchange. And and so on a quarterly basis, you know, it does account. Uh, for something uh, when you have a, a weaker or a stronger dollar. And right now, uh, the trend in the dollar has been um, you know, weaker for the most part this year. And companies that do business overseas are are getting the benefit of that uh, from a translation effect. And you're seeing that show up. I think uh, partly in what I talked about is that you're seeing stronger revenue growth overall for the S&P 500. And that's being helped in large part by a lot of these um, multinational
1: companies. Sounds good. We've got about 45 seconds left, so I'm going to just go ahead and plug briefing. Thanks very much. Uh, Briefing.com is a great source of information, both domestic and international. It's not unbiased. Um, You can start your day there, as I start my day there, uh, with page one. I think it's a great way to start the markets, but there's a lot of information like story stocks, some of the coming IPOs. You can see what's hot. Um, As far as getting investor interest going, you can see some technical ideas. You can see some dividend plays. Uh, There's too much to explain in under a minute, but check out briefing.com and Patrick O'Hare at briefing.com, and congratulations on winning that award. I think that's pretty darn cool. Don't forget, there's another hour of today's show to listen to. Find it now at kdow.biz or on the KDOW radio app. Welcome in, Rob Black, talking money, investing, and more. Got an event coming up. You can check out where, when, why. It's typically tied towards retirement income. It's typically in the Bay Area. And you can always use the code radio25 to get in for free. That's radio25 to get in for free. Uh, This event coming up in mid November is in Los Gatos. And it is a Thursday event. So I will see you there. McDonald's sales top forecast. I mentioned this a little bit earlier. Um, Same-store sales beat expectations in the third quarter, proving that cheap food uh, offers and a push into healthier options and customizable like premium burgers were beating back competition. It. Um, it's, it's had a while where they're trying to reverse the core sales. Uh, they're under pressure from like Chipotle, Mexican Grill, and Panera Bread, amongst others. You know, Introducing fresh beef quarter-pounders, premium customizable sandwiches such as the Signature Sriracha, uh, as well as mobile ordering and delivery. There's fast food and casual dining segments, Quick service restaurants, QSRs. And this is you know encouraging both for the market and for the customer share for uh, McDonald's. And their competitors like Wendy's and Burger King um, also are squeezing in on the trend of you know getting consumers out of their house and into their restaurants. Uh, in ordering their food, uh, obviously, with a company like McDonald's, you're talking about investment not investments but exposure into China, UK, and Canada, so it's telling you a really big picture. Uh, revenue was about 5.75 billion dollars. You can see a lot of cows going down, you know, oh, don't say it, don't say it. Um, you know, fleshing out the idea just a, a skosh more. Um, I want to add in or chime in just a little bit more on the uh, millennial and trying to get that millennial out there to buy food is not the easiest thing in the world. So we've recently seen, you know, some uh, pretty crazy things as far as uh, product in restaurants like McDonald's and uh, Burger King and, well, Taco Bell. Taco Bell, just in time for Halloween, is serving up something to me that's pretty scary. And I couldn't imagine uh, the, the, the three words uh, coming out of my mouth. I'd like a Kit Kat Chocodilla. Yo quiero Taco Bell. Um, that I can't ever imagine saying in life. But I just did. Taco Bell is testing a dessert product. So, well, that's good. At least it's not, you know, considered, you know, your primary source of uh, food. For dinner or lunch or breakfast. But the Kit Kat Chocoladilla is going to be at select locations in Wisconsin through mid November. Uh, Melted chocolate and Kit Kat pieces folded in flour tortilla. Sells for a dollar. It's cringeworthy to me. And, uh, you know, I'm sorry, just. (laughs) It's cringeworthy.
0: Uh
1: oh, Marco wants one. Uh, He wants two, he says. Two, and you'll take two to go for the road. Take it home. Um, there you go. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Um, markets have just had an amazing run, and we're now moving into engagement season. Oh, no, don't say it. Uh, some of the most popular days to get engaged. Uh, Thanksgiving through Christmas or Thanksgiving through New Year's I guess is the right way of saying it. Six of the ten most popular dates to get engaged land in December. Engagement season starts at Thanksgiving and it runs through Valentine's Day. No! It's family time. People want to show mom and dad the ring and pop some champagne. No! (sighs) There's a website called rarecarrot.com and it's carrot C-A-R-A-T rarecarrot.com and it it kind of compares diamond prices for you and ratings and it's powered by IBM's Watson powered search tool It helps shoppers figure out typical stats for a stone in their budget and uh, areas where you could kind of like try to make it work for you. Me personally, I say go with a cubic zirconium. Uh, but also there's a story out there now that millennials are opting for rings made out of silicone difference between silicone and silicon. Just so you know, there is a difference, uh, but uh, millennials are uh, opting for rings that cost ten to twenty dollars because you can do a lot with silicone, and um, as far as making beautiful diamonds, so not beautiful diamonds, but beautiful rings, and it's uh, way cheaper if you know what I'm saying than uh, going for a piece of you know, well, some, a rock, ultimately. So a twenty dollar rubber band instead is the idea. Traditional wedding rings can no longer keep up with the active lifestyles of a lot of couples, uh, leading them to seek other options to show their loved one their commitment. I think this is a great idea: the silicone wedding ring. It's more durable, practical, and affordable. Uh, a lot of people just uh, misplace their rings uh, for whatever activities they're doing, whether it's cooking or showering or you know athletic activities. Uh, firefighters, military officers, they do it out of safety concerns. Um, So there's a company called Q-A-L-O, Qualo. And basically, just because you're newly married and loving each other, you don't have to go out and spend thousands of thousands of dollars on a ring. Um, Everyone should be wearing these rings made out of silicone. They're strong and durable. They're hypoallergenic. Uh, they don't react to chemicals or acids. They're waterproof. They're non-toxic. And they cost $20 or less each. Quelo.com. It's Q-A-L-O. Um, consider it. So spend your whole life together. Don't spend your whole life uh, you know, paying back for dumb things like weddings and uh, wedding rings. Unless, of course, we get a sponsor that's in the wedding industry, then, of course, run up the bills, run up the tabs, run up the debt. It's the only way to live your life. You can find me online at robblackshow.com. It's robblackshow.com. Find me on Twitter, RobBlackShow. YouTube, RobBlackShow.
0: Three star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to, he understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells.